Who decides medicine prices? How are vaccines made? Have questions about the healthcare industry? Welcome to 19 Conversations. Today, we're asking Paul Robinson, European Patient Engagement Lead for MSD, and Veronica Burcott, a patient representative from the International Diabetes Federation, has COVID-19 transformed telemedicine forever? I'm Jackie Davis. Thank you for joining the conversation. So, Paul, Veronica, a um, very warm welcome. Paul, perhaps I could start with you. Um, let's define what it is we're talking about. Um, when we talk about telehealth, people usually think about uh, teleconsultations, meeting your doctor over Zoom, over FaceTime uh, and so on. You're a doctor. Is that all it's about uh, or is it about a lot more? No, I think I think that's the tip of the iceberg, and that's the bit that everybody is experiencing at the moment because of the COVID crisis. But I think if you expand your mind as to the potential of digital communication, we've got the ability for patients to uh, collect data about their own condition and to transmit that to the doctors looking after them. Uh, if you go beyond that to uh, artificial intelligence, we've got the ability to screen patients electronically and find the ones that are at high risk and fast track those through the system. So I think at the moment, it's predominantly face-to-face telemedicine, but we're just scratching the surface. And in terms of your interactions with patients, um, how greatly is it being used at the moment? Just how extensive has it already become and and how do you see the potential for the future? For my practice, which is predominantly hypertension, it's 100% telemedicine. Um, Because I'm only interested in blood pressure, that's two numbers. So it's the ultimate digital uh, outcome. But I'm finding that there are two groups of patients, those that really like it, those that say to me, why on earth would I come back to the hospital again? And then there's the other group that really feel isolated and can't really engage. And they do need the face-to-face contact, either by coming back to the hospital, or we need to find a way of engaging them electronically, remotely, more positively. Uh, And Veronica, uh, for you as a person living with diabetes, what impact is telehealth having uh, on you now in terms of of managing uh, your condition? And, And how big a potential do you think it has for the future? Definitely, it reduced the burden of travel and uh, I can access my endocrinologist or nurse faster and I can do it from the comfort of my own home. It also allowed me to improve my diabetes management because um, now I have more responsibilities, but I also have more control. And with the tools that I have access to, I can easily send data to my endocrinologist. So... Veronica, you've talked about the advantages of teleconsultations, but are there any disadvantages? Do you miss that physical contact with your endocrinologist? Is it something you feel can't be replicated by remote communication? I mean, of course, there is um, this warm atmosphere. Every time I meet with my endocrinologist, we just have a little chat. Uh, She asks me how I am and uh, just what's going on in my life besides diabetes. (laughs) So I think um, it's really hard to replicate it, but I think it's great that we have now all these tools that we can use to at least make it close to this uh, special connection with your uh, doctor or nurse. 
And Paul, as the doctor uh, in this communication, uh, do you see uh, downsides as well as upsides? And, and I'm wondering if you do, uh, when we look to the future, is there a way of combining the two uh, that would take full advantage of, of the positives, but address some of those negatives, the things Veronica says she misses through teleconsultation? Yeah, I mean, I identify with what Veronica says. Uh, absolutely, A, clearly, you can't examine the patient. That's a big downside. B, there's all the nonverbal communications that we normally pick up on. And so you can tell whether someone's anxious. You can tell whether someone's uh, being completely honest and open with you. You lose a lot of that uh, in a remote consultation. So I think we do need to find a way where we can perhaps see the patient uh, face-to-face when they first come to the doctor for their first uh, first presentation. But, but once they're on treatment and, and it's about monitoring and that relationship has been established, then I think there's uh, there's a huge opportunity. Mm. So we take the lesson of COVID, uh, which has meant inevitably not being able to do both. Uh, and we take the positives from that. And as you say, find a mixed pattern uh, that will really work. Looking at other aspects of this, uh, you talked, uh, Veronica, about the way improving the way you manage your diabetes. You said it's given you more responsibility, but also more control. Um, how have you used uh, modern technologies to help you manage disease, particularly during COVID? Uh, I'm thinking here, for example, about uh, glucose monitoring, the sort of things you have to do every day. How have you used this, this technology? Currently, I am using an insulin pump and glucose monitoring system, continuous one, uh, so it gives me uh, data in real time, what is going on with my blood sugar. And I think that it allows me to really see the trends, to analyze what's going on, to maybe catch a problem that is happening all over again in a certain time of the day. So I think now I just have more time to really focus on my blood sugars and also on the things that I eat to adjust mm. my meals better because I'm at home and I can prepare it more carefully. So I noticed that my, uh, it's called uh, tier, so time in range, improved. And uh, yeah, as I said, you have more responsibilities, but at the same time, you can really listen to your body in more closed environment in the comfort of your own home. And you can notice these changes mm. uh, more easily. And is it relatively easy to use? Because I'm thinking you're young, uh, you're probably very tech savvy in other areas of your life. But uh, do you think for people who use technology less, uh, maybe older generations, do you think it's relatively easy for them to use it and to understand the information it's giving them? Yes, it's, I think it's really easy to use. There are, of course, different systems and uh, I think everyone can find something for themselves and it gives you really clear information <laughs> how uh, you are doing. Absolutely. Paul, um, is that a concern, the issue yeah. of how people use technologies? And, and how do you see us taking that next step, both in terms of, of the responsibility, so uh, enabling people to manage uh, or share their own care, um, but also that control that Veronica's talking about? From a physician perspective, how do you see that challenge? 
So I think what Veronica says about taking responsibility and accountability for your own care is extremely important. And I think for for patients who are able to do that, I think the telemedicine um, opportunity here is actually going to make their, their control and hopefully their outcomes better. I do have significant concerns about producing uh, populations who engage and populations who can't engage. And whether that's the elderly versus the young or parts of Europe, where internet connection and and IT facilities are good versus bad. I do have concern about that. Um, A a personal story, my father's 87, he has cancer. He's now having his oncology consultations by telephone. And I think that's fine, whilst the consultation is, Mr. Robinson, everything's okay. But when the consultation is not that, then I think that's difficult uh, to do over Skype or whatever. Uh, Carry on. Sorry, is there also an issue about data quality? Yeah. Uh, are there challenges here, both in terms of the quality of the data provided by patients and also how it's presented and so on? There's always concerns about, about the consistency and the quality of the data. Uh, so if a patient is measuring their own blood pressure, uh, are they doing it correctly? If they're giving you figures that don't make sense, what on earth is going on? Is their machine accurate? So I think the the chance we have now is we've been forced into remote consultation by COVID. What we need to do now is to put some framework and some structure around that, some, some data standards so that we know what we're collecting is consistent. Uh, ideally, data sets that integrate with each other and speak to each other so that we don't end up uh, with the with a system where different hospitals and different doctors use different collection systems and so we can't amalgamate them. So I think now is the opportunity for some uh, consistency and framework to be put around the whole digital space. Come back to how we do that uh, in a little while, I hope. Veronica, um, from your perspective, and when it when we comes to people's mental health, uh, there has been a lot of discussion about the impact of COVID on people's mental health, uh, and particularly for people who are in vulnerable categories or who are already living with a chronic uh, disease of some sort. For you, how do you see the role of, of telehealth, of access to internet communities, to online support for your mental health? How important has that been? to you and how important do you think it is for others living with chronic diseases? I think the telehealth really benefits the mental health care and I think that many people who are struggling to start a therapy now did it because they can do it from the comfort of their own home and because it's hard maybe some people have concerns if someone would see them or going to psychologist mm-hmm. or therapist so for me appointments with endocrinologists are essential but mental health is important too so what i do is i just go see a psychologist on a regular basis in my life i experienced diabetes burnout so what uh, is that I, it's when you are basically fed up with diabetes (laughs) and uh, it's really hard to get back on track with your blood sugars and um, normally it's good to see a professional in this case. So uh, yeah, from that moment I started to go to psychologists on a regular basis and I think it's important both for people with chronic diseases and for people who are healthy because we all have our personal struggles and it's people shouldn't be ashamed to go to a therapy 
But as you say, it's easier to do it online. Yes. It has a privacy yes. element. You do it at home. Uh, so maybe you feel it's easier to reach out for the help you need. I also believe the diabetes community has a very uh, active social media presence that you are supporting each other uh, online, that peer support. Um, how important is that side of it? Uh, so getting support from other people living with diabetes who get as fed up as you do sometime and understand how you feel. Um, and can anything be done to, to help support those sorts of communities? Yeah, we have a very strong presence on social media. I think on every possible platform, there are people with diabetes. And yeah, we are trying to support each other in different ways. And uh, there is also this trend, it's called Diabody Reach Out. It's a mix of words, diabetes and body. So Diabody Reach Out. So people are just reaching out to yeah, their friends. In diabetes community, it's really, uh, we are like one big family. Even if you meet a person for the first time, you already feel like you are you are already friends for many, many years because we understand that we have a similar experience and uh, instant friendship. <laughs> um, so <laughs> so uh, what I think is um, the more opportunities for people with diabetes in, in different programs, workshops, where we can connect and share our experiences, the better, the better that because is. Yeah. yeah, this is what is helping people that uh, some people are afraid of diabetes complications and uh, maybe there will be a person who will share with them, oh, I'm living with a complication. So, Absolutely. Uh, and yeah. telehealth, of course, maximizing those opportunities to do that. Paul, from your perspective uh, and in patients you treat, as you say, you're treating people with hypertension. But how important do you think broadly mental health support is and this role of online communities? And how do you see the role? of telehealth as we go forward uh, in really contributing to that vital support that Veronica's describing? I, I certainly identify with the levels of anxiety, of stress and of depression and, and isolation uh, that we've all experienced over the past uh, year or so. So I think uh, online support, be it group therapy, cognitive therapy, some sort of exercise that you do yourself um, is, is going to be essential um, and I think is beneficial. And I mean, even the physical exercise, the, the exercise classes that you've seen online. But I do think there's a small group of patients who will just, as Veronica says, just disengage. Uh, and they're the ones that I have concerns about. How do we reach those people who just uh, switch off from, from their health care and from the remote access to it? Because they're the ones that are likely to do badly in the long term. So maybe there needs to be some sort of mechanism to make sure that we don't just sort of say embrace it. OK, COVID has shown us how marvellous uh, telehealth and teleconsultations can be in a time of pandemic, in a time of challenge. But we mustn't uh, embrace it so wholeheartedly that we forget that there are downsides, that there are people who are excluded. Somehow it's getting that balance, Paul, is it, between using its benefits but not recognising yes. its downsides? Yeah, I mean, I think the saying to a patient that we'll just get the app uh, you know that that's not enough for some patients it will be enough but for many that will be water off a duck's back that will have no impact whatsoever and so it's going to have to be a blended approach uh, where we provide uh, online support for those that that want to engage with it and can engage with it but we can't write off the rest 
So when we look to the future and taking advantage of all these benefits and addressing some of these challenges, um, Veronica, I'm just wondering uh, in terms of, do you think we're perhaps going to need um, to help patients more, more education, tech education, uh, to make sure that everyone can take advantage of these things in the way that you have and give them that responsibility and control? What do you think? Is there anything you think needs to be done uh, to enable more people uh, to take advantage of this? Uh, or anything you would like to see to help you take more advantage of it in future? Definitely more people should have access to glucose monitoring systems because I know that not in all uh, European countries there are such devices or they are not reimbursed and they are quite expensive. Uh, I'm lucky to get all my diabetes tech for free in Belgium and um, I think um, there should be more personalized approach because using such devices, sometimes people are experiencing burnout due to too much data or uh, even appearance because you have some strange elements attached to your body, sensors, and if you're using pump and infusion set, sometimes this is an issue. So I think there should be trainings and really honest conversations and maybe um, some periods where patients can try these devices yeah. and then decide if they want to use, use it or not. Because I know I people who are using... Uh, injections for many, many years, and they are saying, how can you use insulin pump? You have this thing attached to you 24 hours. Uh, yeah. yeah. So as you say, a choice, and that's important, is it? To feel part of control is the choice. Do I want to do this or not? Paul, you said earlier, uh, we've been sort of forced into the accelerated use, for example, of teleconsultations by COVID. And you said, now we need to put a framework around it. What does that framework look like? What for you are the key challenges and priorities for the future? Um, so the first first is equity of access, as, as Veronica says, to, to the infrastructure. So whether that's access to the devices or access to the internet, um, we can't take that for granted, that needs to be uh, to be improved in uniform. I think the second thing is is to start to standardise how we communicate and how we collect the data, so that we can start analysing data from different parts of the country, from different healthcare systems within the country, and indeed across Europe. And if we can do that, then we will have a a database, a digital asset that actually can start to be valuable to society. We can start to work out who's doing well, who's doing less well, what treatments are more effective, what's less effective. And, and so we can start to reap some of the benefits of this. Um, so as I say, COVID has sort of accelerated, it's thrown us into using it because we had little choice. But now we need to just take a step back and make sure that we're using it in the most efficient and effective way as we go forward, because it's certainly not going to disappear now that, uh, you know, once COVID disappears, we will stay using uh, much more telehealth, telecommunications uh, in our future lives. Thank you very much. Thank you to you, Paul. Thank you very much, Veronica, for sharing your experiences with us and identifying both the opportunities uh, that telehealth presents, but also some of the very important challenges that we need to address. And thank you to you very much for listening to 19 Conversations. If you like this podcast, please click on the subscribe button to be the first to know when we release our next episode and please leave a rating and review. And until our next episode, we'd invite you to join the conversation on Twitter using the hashtag questions inspire solutions. Goodbye. <laughs>